Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Thanks so much for coming. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? And I'll tell you what, this is going to be spoken as a proud father, but I am so proud of my son filling in for me last week. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's a joy. <laughs> Somebody said, you better be careful, Wayne. He'll take this church away. And I said, wouldn't that be an honor? Wouldn't that be an honor? That would be the greatest honor in my life. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, we come to what you've already covered if you're in connection Pillar number seven. I'm behind you, but I'm catching up. God's preparation for ministry. And what we're going to be talking about is how the pastors, we have a staff of pastor teachers, how the pastors equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13 will be our focus. But let me bring you to that. We, this is the seventh pillar of what we've been looking at, the seven pillars of church ministry. Actually, it's biblical philosophy of ministry is what it is. It's not ours as much as it's God's. It's His Word. We just adjust and we receive what God has said. My prayer is that this study has been an encouragement to you, but really, too, that it'll be a, it's been a great help to you to understand what the church is. I've said it before, but it bears repeating again. If somehow you've made the mistake of disjoining the seven pillars from the grace life, Jesus being Jesus in you, living grace is what I call it. The exchange life is what some people call it. The Christ life, letting him do through us what he wants to do. If you've divorced the seven pillars from that, you've made a huge mistake because it's all one thing. We're just looking at an aspect of what the grace life is. These seven pillars become reality only when we're surrendered to Christ and we're saying yes to his will and to his word. The gifts, the ministries, the effects, They'll take care of themselves if we're living yielded to Him. Uh, you say, do you have to know your gifts? And I've said this before, not necessarily. People will come to you and tell you what they are when you're walking surrendered to Christ, and you'll be functional in His body. Now, let's go back, and I know reviews of a pill sometimes, but I want to get you in the flow again. I'll do it quickly, but I want to make sure you see where the seventh pillar fits. You might not have been here the first six, and so let's put them together. Pillar number one was God's pattern for ministry, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. That's where we learn that God gives the gifts, the ministry, and the effect. That's God's Word. Therefore, it cannot come from man. Man cannot come up with it. We're not creative enough. It comes from God. Pillar number two, now everything's cut from that pattern. Pillar number two was God's power in ministry. We saw that in Isaiah 6 when God raised Isaiah up and cleansed his lips and freed him to be the prophet of Israel. We saw that what God initiates, and it was God initiating that, that God anoints with His enabling power. Pillar number three was God's platform for ministry. We saw in John chapter 11 that ministry is something we receive from God, not something we achieve for Him. In other words, ministry is joining Him in what He's already doing. Pillar number four was God's priority in ministry. We saw from Romans 15 and Romans chapter 1, what surrender is all about. That ministry is not a result of my best efforts to please God. Ministry is a result of surrender that's without that selfish argument and soulless agenda 
and what we saw in Romans chapter 15 and Romans chapter 1. Pillar number five was a no-brainer, really. God's purpose in ministry is, Romans eleven thirty-three through 36, that he gets the glory and recognition, not us, not man, not a denomination, but Christ gets the, all of that glory. Glory is when somebody's recognized for who and what they are. And pillar number six was God's picture of ministry, like a snapshot. Romans 12, uh, 1 through 8, pillar number six says that, that, that uh, we are a body. We're gifted differently. And we saw the different gifts and, and how that we, when we function. When, when we're living surrendered to Christ, He functions differently through me than He'll function through you, although everything He does is wrapped by His love. It's a beautiful picture of how the church comes together to form the picture of who Christ is. Romans 12, 6 through 8 shows the, the different gifts that we all have. Just like we have a human body that has different parts and they don't all function the same way, so the body of Christ is that way. It's Christ living in us. Each gift is a reflection of Him. Prophecy is Christ in us, confronting through us others with the truth of His Word. Serving is Christ in us reaching out and touching and meeting the practical needs of others. Teaching is Christ in us, clarifying the word of truth. Uh, exhortation is Christ in us, comforting people with His word. Uh, giving is, is Christ in us, releasing what he, we have, that He's given us gifts to earn, releasing that for the benefit of the body. Leading, which is, is Christ standing in us, out, out in front, and calling the shots and moving on, and the body progresses. And mercy is Christ in us, showing His compassion to others that are around us. Now, when all these gifts begin to function, and each of us are gifted in one of those areas, then Christ is magnified in His church. People don't see that particular gift as much as they see the giver. And He begins to be reflected in all the different areas that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12. A body is to give visibility to the entity that lives within it. You see, when we're dead, the life has left us, and, and, and it's just dead. There's no, there's no entity living in that body. When Dr. Stephen Olford's funeral, when I went up there, I, uh, they had an open casket. And you know how he's always had that beautiful white flowing hair, if you know anything about Dr. Olford. And they had shaved his head, and they, were, they had to do some carotid uh, artery surgery, and that's when he went into a coma. And I just thought that that lifeless body could no longer give visibility to the entity that lived within it because that entity had left and gone on to be with the Lord. But when he was on this earth, when you saw that little bitty body, you really didn't see that. You saw the personality that was within it, the life that lived within it. That's what the church is all about, to reflect the life that is in us so that the world can see it's not about us, but it's about him. Well, once we see this picture in Romans 12, God doesn't stop there. Because you see, it begs the question, who is going to be there to equip people to understand about their gifts and how they can be functional and usable in the body of Christ? Who does that? Well, the most common and the most unlearned answer is that we pay staff to do the work of the ministry, so why are we even talking about all this anyway? <laughs> but that's a wrong answer. The staff is here for a reason. The staff is here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're not a staff-driven church. We're trying to become a staff-led church, which is a huge difference. Now, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. Let me give you the context. Any text without a context is a pretext. Let me show you where we are so that you can catch the flow of what Paul's doing in Ephesians. 
chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has taught the believers who and whose they are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, he even teaches them how to appropriate all the riches that they have in Christ, which is by faith. That's chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Well, then chapters 4, 5, and 6 hinge on everything that's in that prayer in chapter 3. If we don't know how to appropriate it, which is by faith, out of surrender and yieldedness to Him, then chapters 4 through 6 fall on deaf ears. There's no way to do it. You see, chapter 4 through 6 begins to show how it works itself out. In verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4, he talks about the unity that's produced by the Holy Spirit but is preserved by a surrendered walk. We can't produce unity. He has to make us one. However, we preserve it by a surrendered walk. In verses 4 through 7, he talks about the oneness of the body and how that we're, we can be one and can live as one. Then in verses 8 through 10, he begins to show how that God gave the gifted men to equip the body for the work of the ministry. It's all God's doing. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, talking about the ascended Christ, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, what is he talking about there? He gave gifts to men. The word gifts in verse 8 is not the word we saw in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. That was a different word. This particular word is thoma. And thoma is a, is a gift given with goodwill to whoever that recipient of that gift is. It's a great intention. It's a good intention. It's to bless him. But in the text, it tells you what these gifts are. It tells you that they are men. They're not like the gifts of Romans 12, which are spiritual abilities within us. These are gifted men. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers. Now, let's look at those offices that he gave here. These are offices within the church, prophets and, and apostles. We don't have those today. What do you, what do you mean, Wayne? Well, in chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, our, our faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's why we have the Word of God today. We don't need the apostles and prophets. When you're building a house, you lay the foundation. You don't go back and keep rebuilding the foundation. It's already there. We don't need that anymore. Well, the evangelists were, we do need. But the, remember, many people think that we have the gift of evangelism. I personally disagree with that. I don't see that anywhere. But we do have the gift of an evangelist. We have the command to evangelize, but we have the gift of the evangelist. This is a person who knew the gospel message. Philip is the only evangelist ever by name in the New Testament. He traveled, they traveled about spreading the good news of the gospel. They reached people outside the church walls. But then he talks about that interesting office of pastor-teacher. It's a hyphenated word. Only one definite article for two words, which means it's a pastor-teacher. Not pastors and teachers, but pastor-teacher is the correct pronunciation there. Whereas the prophet, the apostle, the evangelist were not necessarily tied to any church, the pastor-teacher was. And it was a significant single office within the church. Now, for the sake of our culture today, let's call him the senior pastor-teacher. You say, now why are you doing that, Wayne? Because today we have a different structure. We have a staff of many, a multiplicity of pastors, pastor teachers, those who have been trained, those who are ordained, set apart. Now, how do they fit in this picture? What are they on the church staff for? What is their role? 
See, there was no such thing as a pastoral staff that we can find in Scripture. So let's just call the office, the single office, senior pastor teacher. Now, to be a pastor teacher on staff means several things. First of all, it means that you're not in the office of senior pastor teacher. <laughs> and uh, that's helpful to know. There's only one of those. They have come alongside him to assist him in exactly what his calling is all about. They're going to be doing the same thing, but with much more narrow focus. Secondly, to be an ordained pastor on staff would mean that one has the qualifications of an elder. Even though he might not have the office of elder, he has to, has to have the qualifications of an elder. Thirdly, his heart must be to shepherd the flock in the particular area in which he was assigned. In fact, the word pastor is the word for shepherd in, the, in Scripture, in the Greek. It's the word poimen, and poimen means a shepherd. Now, a shepherd does three things in shepherding the sheep. He guides the sheep, he guards the sheep, and he grazes the sheep. That's a physical shepherd. But a spiritual shepherd on staff is along with the senior pastor teacher, shepherd. He guides the sheep with the Word of God. He guards the sheep with the Word of God, and he grazes the sheep with the Word of God. He's all about equipping. He's all about helping the sheep to become what God wants them to be. Now, four things about the pastoral staff we must see today. Now, understand something. I'm not dealing with the elders. I'm not dealing with connection leaders and teachers in the church. That's not my assignment today. My assignment today is simply to show you what the role of a pastor teacher on staff is all about. We have pastor teachers in the children and youth area. We have pastor teachers in the adult area. We've got pastor teachers on staff. About 12 of us are on staff. What are they there for? Four things that I want you to see. This is what God gave to the church to help equip the church for the work of the ministry. First of all, the assignment of a pastor on staff. The assignment of a God-called pastor. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, he says. The word equipping, cartartismos, it means to make somebody fully ready so that he's functional, uh, to take something that's been broken, put it back together, to mend something. It's used of a bone that's been broken, it's put back and set. So now that the, it's functional again. So every pastor teacher has as an assignment to make sure that the people under and around him are brought to a place that they're functional in the body of Christ. Now, when it comes to equipping that's mentioned in Scripture, the only thing that we have to equip people with is the Word of God. I want to make sure we see that. This is not something that's an opinion. This is what God teaches us in His Word. Let me show you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now what? So that the man of God may be adequate. Now watch this, watch this. Equipped for every good work. The Word of God has to be used. Why? Because it's profitable to teach. We just read that. It shows a man what track he's supposed to run on. It's profitable to reprove. It shows a man when he's jumped track. It's profitable to correct. It helps a man get back on track. And it's profitable for training and righteousness to help that man stay on track. In fact, the word equipped in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3 is the very same word we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, equip the saints. That's the same word. So God called pastors on staff. Come alongside the senior pastor. And they have as an assignment to teach people the Word of God. 
not to teach them how to cook, not to teach them how to make baskets, and not to build numbers. That is never, ever a mandate that God puts upon them. They're here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and they will answer to God one day for that assignment. Anything less is unacceptable. I'll tell you what, folks, we're living in a day when this big number thing is driving churches crazy all over this country. Small churches all of a sudden don't think that they're, that they're capable anymore, and they're trying to join and merge with other churches. Why? So that they can make a mega church, and what they're doing is making a mega mess. In fact, one pastor well-known in America has been so deceived by numbers that he said, he said, any pastor who thinks that the church can be built by preaching and teaching God's Word and prayer is out of touch with the mentality of the 21st century. Now, that's a quote from Christianity Today. And I want to tell you something, folks. If we fall back into that trap, we're in, we're in dire straits. We're not here to build a mega church. Pastor teachers are here to equip people. Take them deep. God will add the breadth. We're not here to add breadth. We're here to add depth, to take people and to help them become functional in the body of Christ. It's so sad what's going on in our day. Secondly, the aim of a pastor. The assignment is to equip. But what is his aim in that equipping? We've seen that, that the equipping makes a person adequate. Well, in the verse, it shows you adequate for what? First Corinthians, I mean, Ephesians 4.12. For the equipping of the saints, look at this, for the work of service. Now, the word for service is the word diakonia again. How many times have we seen this word? It means deacon, yes, but it also means ministry. And we must couple this with pillar number six. You see, all these fit together. We've all received gifts when we were saved, but you have to understand something. No gift is functional in the body of Christ until that individual who possesses that gift is walking surrendered to Christ. The pastor teacher is not necessarily here to show a person how to use his gift. God is showing that, but he's here to help that believer live in such a way that his gift is usable. You see the difference? A pastor teacher looks over the spiritual temperature of the church, and he's always there to equip the believer so that he can become usable and functional in the church. When you have a large church like we have, we have to have a multiplicity of pastors because there's no possible way any one person can reach every age group. The assignment of the senior pastor teacher and the pastor teachers who are called alongside him are the same. They're in a much more narrowed situation, but it's all the same, and that's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But to equip the saints so that they can be usable in the gifts that God has given to them. A pastor teacher teaches from the pulpit week by week and studies in the Word and, and edifies the Word. But the others are in more narrow groups, as we said. But let me tell you this. No pastor teacher is here for the purpose of pampering the unwilling. I want to make sure you hear this loud and clear. They understand that there are some people who will not be equipped. They're not going to answer to God for people who will not eat the food. They're the answer to God for how they set the table. And so they're not here to pamper the unwilling. Fallout is absolutely going to occur when the pastor teachers do what they're assigned to do. It's going to happen. Why? Because there are many people who want to be a part of a church but do not want to biblically function within that church. You know why? Because they have to deal with their flesh. 
You know why? They have to get into the Word of God. They have to have a walk with God, and they don't want that. They want to be a part, the privilege, with no responsibility. But the pastor teachers are not here to pamper the unwilling. They're to take the people that are hungry and grow them and to equip them and to make them usable and functional in the body of Christ. So the assignment of a God-called pastor is to equip the saints. His aim is for the work of the ministry, that it takes place. That picture we saw in Romans, so that it happens, and people begin to be usable in God's kingdom. But thirdly, the aspiration of a God-called pastor. What's his aspiration? What does he aspire to? I wonder his assignment. We know what the aim of that assignment is, but what does he aspire to? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's, that's, his, that's his aspiration, to build up the body of Christ. They want to see the body of Christ built up. That's what melts their butter. That's what lights their fire, man, to see people built up, the body built up and equipped. The word for building up is the word ekothome. Ekothome is the word that means to build something like a house. But it doesn't refer to the finished product. It refers to the act of building. It's the word that is a progressive word. It's something that's always in process. It's kind of like our interstate highway system. It's always in process. You know, it's, it never seems to get there. And that's kind of the way the church is. It's an ongoing process. The body of Christ is in a constant stage of being built up. I'm going to buy a shirt one day that I can wear. It says, please be patient with me. God has not finished with me yet. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And thank God we have pastor teachers to come alongside and help us in that progressive work. You see, the church growth is never measured by numbers. This is where we've made such a huge mistake. Yes, numbers are people. I understand that. It's measured by the numbers that they have that are, that are consistently becoming functional in the body of Christ. I'm telling you, this is what absolutely moves and motivates the heart of a pastor teacher. And the materials for this building have to come from the Word of God. That's the only place you can find them, as we've already seen. In fact, Paul connects the Word of God and the building up of the body in one verse, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Interestingly, he's writing the elders of Ephesus, the very epistle that we're looking at here. And he says in Acts 20, 32, And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the aspiration of a God-called pastor, to take this book and to bring it into somebody's life and to help them see what's in here and then help them understand it so that they can become functional as, as they learn to live it. Man, there's nothing that, that, that excites him anymore than that. I cannot tell you. I can say it in this service. But I cannot tell you the joy in my heart for Stephen preaching for me last weekend. I mean, only a father can understand what I'm saying here. All of those years when he went off to college, we didn't even know he had carpet on the floor until he left for school. And I'm thinking, he was listening. He was listening. And to watch him grow and to watch him come to the place he's functional in the body of Christ literally blesses my socks off. And that's the way all pastor teachers are. They're not satisfied with numbers. They're satisfied with the numbers that are consistently becoming functional and being built up in the body of Christ. That's the only thing they're satisfied with. You can't impress them any other way. 
You can't motivate them any other way because they're God-called. That's what the staff is all about. They're never satisfied until everyone under their ministry comes to that place that they can be functional. Will that happen until Christ comes back? Probably not. That's why it's a work that's consistently in progress. But then finally, the accomplishment of the God-called pastor. Chapter 4 and verse 12, we see what we've already looked at now. For the equipping of the saints, which is the assignment for the work of service, the aim, the building up of the body, Christ, the aspiration. But look at the accomplishment. How do you know? And this part to me is the best part of all that we're going to say. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You say, Wayne, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, I know. So let's back up and take it apart. Paul uses the word all. Until we all attain a whole man. This is from the cradle to the grave. This is why we have multiplicity of pastors, because we don't want to see anybody not equipped to become functional one day in the body of Christ. No one's to be left out. And that's the way the God-called pastor feels in his ministry. Well, until we all attain. And the word to attain is katantao. I know, that's a Greek word. But it means to arrive at a place. Oh, man. It's like... I hope you're seeing this. This never gets out of me like it gets into me. But all of the pastor teachers working together. Why? So that we can all arrive at the same place. Now, what is the same place that he's talking about? Until we all arrive at the unity of the faith. The word unity there is the idea there's no variation and no difference. Oh, man, in a perfect world. When we get to the point that we understand doctrine together. And we not only understand it, there's more than what he's talking about. The faith, that that means the Word of God. Until we all come to a place that there's no variation or difference in how we perceive and understand God's Word as part of it. But in the context, it goes a step beyond that. What he's saying is that all of us come to a unity of the faith, meaning not only do we understand it, but we've come to the place. Faith is action. Faith is obedience to the place that we're willing to obey what we now understand. Oh, oh, glory. If you had a people, if you had a thousand people coming together and all of a sudden all of them see it, they see it, and not only do they understand it, they say, oh, God, not only do I want it in my head, but I want it in my heart, and they begin to live it, that's the accomplishment. That's the accomplishment. That's when the maturity begins to rise up in the body of Christ. That's what a pastor teacher has in his heart, until we all come to the same place in understanding doctrine and agreeing to live it in our lives. Obedience is the reflex of pure trust in the, in the Word of God. When a person comes to understand it, to grasp it, but not only that, comes to the place he's willing to, 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 to trust it enough that he's willing to obey it, then you have a unity of the faith. Paul shows us that this is what he has in mind in the next phrase. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and listen to this, and to the knowledge of the Son of God. The word knowledge, epignosis. Let me explain that to you. Gnosis. Have you ever been around people that had knowledge, they had facts, they had information, but they didn't have any common sense, I mean, they didn't even know how to live it? 
and it's drive you nuts, don't they? And they're always wanting to tell you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this little cute movie that's out for Christmas called Polar Express. Anybody seen that besides me and Diana? <laughs> Good. There's four of us here. It's the cutest movie. And they got this little kid in there. It's animated, but he's got this little kid in there. He's got these big old glasses. And he's got the facts on everything. And I just thought of him when I stood studying this. This is the person with gnosis. I'll tell you one thing. I can quote that verse right there. That's an aberrant, you know, and, it, and it's drive you nuts. They know facts. They know information. That's not the word epignosis. Epignosis is a different word. Epi goes in front of it. Epi means upon. Knowledge upon knowledge. Ooh, here's the person who has it in his head, yes. But my friend, it's made the 18-inch journey down to his heart. He is living it out in his life. He's experiencing for himself what he's come to understand and to trust. Now he's experiencing it for himself. That's epignosis. Fullness of knowledge is another way it's translated. What the Apostle Paul is trying to say is God dropped these people into the laps of churches. They're gifts. I know you think sometimes we're not really the prize you was looking for, but that's the gift to the church. And what are we here for? We're here to equip believers to build up the body of Christ, to help people understand how that they, their gift that God has given to them can become functional, how they can become useful in the body of Christ, how they can experience Jesus on their own. And I'll tell you what, when you get a body of people doing that and you bring them together, whoa, he's magnified. Maturity has finally come about. It's finally come about till we all have come to experience him to the degree that we live what we believe, what we say we believe. Then we begin to experience him in his fullness. But look at the last part of it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now watch this. Here's what happened. He says to a mature man. That's interesting. That's singular. Not to mature men. He's not talking about, he's talking about the whole group, all of us, coming to when people look at all of us, they only see one. They see Christ. To the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The word mature there, teleos, the accomplishment of a goal. You see, what's happening here is to the measure of the fullness, to the, to, to the place to where people come in and they look at us and they just see Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Would it be awesome when people drove up on our parking lot, they just sensed the presence of God's Spirit because of His people flooding into the services? They walk inside the service and they see the gifts begin to operate, people caring for them, people wanting to comfort them, etc. Nobody thinking about it, God just being who He is in them, and they walk away, and all they can talk about is Jesus because they saw Him in the life of the church. When we as a body of believers under the equipping of our pastors and elders and teachers come to the place of the measure of the statue of which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that is the accomplishment of what we're here for till Jesus comes back. So hopefully this has helped you understand a little bit about the purpose of pastor teachers on staff. How come you have to have so many, Brother Wayne? Because we've got a large group of people here and a diverse age group. So we have a senior pastor teacher, which is an office that was designated in, he in Ephesians chapter 4. But we have many pastor teachers who come alongside him to assist him in doing what? In equipping the body, building up the body. Why? So that it can mature and so that Christ can be seen in all that we do.
There's a man in this church, and I call him Santa Claus. He's the sweetest guy. And he's been so nice to me. You know what he's done? He has brought me a painting of Thomas Kincaid. How many of you know who Thomas Kincaid is? <laughs> is the guy talented or what? I mean, how this artist can take a, a, a picture, just a serene picture, and turn it into what he turns it into, it's incredible. Mine happens to be a little country church and a little stream that's drying up, kind of like the Rio Grande <laughs> running down, and, and a little road running by. I mean, a typical, simple little picture. And how he does the touches with light. You ever notice his painting? And I have a little light across the top of it, and I flip it on, and it's like the sun comes up inside that picture. You know what he does with that picture? That picture becomes so inviting. It's just so warm. The light in it just makes it so warm. You know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to step inside that picture and go in that little church and see what it's like. It invites me to come in. It's like it's full of warmth and it's full of love. That's Thomas Kincaid. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is the Thomas Kincaid of the New Testament. He can take something as an ordinary church. It's got all kinds of warts and frustrations and people that are imperfect. And he can take Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and put such light in it and put such beauty in it, it just invites you to want to be a part of it, doesn't it? It just invites you to want to enter into it and become what it says that we ought to be. That's pillar number seven. You might understand how to pray for your pastors now. They understand that there's going to be an automatic back door. <laughs> Anytime you properly equip people, there's going to be a back door. People are going to leave. You know why? They want to be a part of the church, but they don't want to be biblically, functionally a part of the church. Because to do that, you've got to deal with your flesh. To do that, you have to walk with God. To do that, you've got to be in His Word. People are going to bail out. That's why Stephen in the youth area had such a struggle when he first went in there. And they bailed like a covey of quail because they weren't giving out CD players if you bring the most kids. They didn't have any more smoke bombs on the, on the stage, and they didn't have any more wild stuff going on. And all of a sudden, man, people weren't interested. But now he's got a group that is, and he's beginning to build them up and equip them. Why? So they can be functional in the body of Christ. You have to live with that downside. But that's how you can pray for your pastor teachers. That's what they're here for, is to edify, to build up the body of Christ. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.